Over the past few weeks, I've been talking about maritime disasters. Those who, through no fault of their own, were buried at sea. I've talked about, particularly in the community of sailors, how this is often preferential. They want to be buried at sea. Today, I want to talk about the people who choose to be buried at sea. How it can happen, where it can happen, and sometimes what goes wrong. I'm Liz Clappen, and this is Tomb of the View. So switching gears, obviously maritime disasters have been the norm. This week, I want to talk a little bit, first of all, about the fact that some of the folks who are buried at sea don't have an option. Obviously, casualties of war are going to be the largest group here that kind of fall into this category. But just in general, for as long as man has been going to sea, what we find is that being far away from land, particularly in a time before engines, meant that burying at sea was often necessary just due to the natural state of decomposition. I'm sure everybody has seen some sort of period drama where they show, you know, people being sewn up into sailcloths and dropped overboard. It's sort of the nature of the beast um, with anything from, you know, the pilgrims at Plymouth Plantation to the British Navy. If you have seen any kind of period drama that involves a boat, odds are there was at least one burial at sea. And the truth is, in the modern era, things aren't all that different when it comes to burial at sea. Obviously, in the modern day, and this is an interesting twist, that when I was thinking about burial at sea, I was thinking full body burial. But if you are cremated and your ashes are scattered at sea, that's still considered burial at sea. It's semantics, I know. Because to me, if somebody chose to scatter ashes in a garden or over land that's not burial but I guess I'm maybe splitting hairs in terms of what the actual correct terminology would be so I think in the modern day it is so very common for people to choose to have their ashes scattered at sea or over a lake or some permutation of that we don't think of it as being that unusual however full body burial at sea it still is kind of unusual. And I was surprised at how recently it was very tightly regulated. In terms of like actual just the practicalities of a cemetery podcast, you could argue that this is so niche, it doesn't even really qualify because we're talking usually anywhere between 6 and 12 people a year have full body burials at sea. It's very rare. But it's also one of those things that I think that people are weirdly fascinated by and I get asked about quite a bit. So why not? It's maritime April. We're going with it. So like I said, as far back as sailing goes, there have always been burials at sea. Arguably, probably the most famous burial at sea is Sir Francis Drake. When he died in 1596, he was buried at sea off the coast of Panama Interestingly enough, he chose to be buried in a full suit of armor in a lead coffin. And there are divers out there who are still looking for him. 
I'm not a diver myself. I'm sure these people are very nice and many of them are perfectly normal. I've known some people who have been police and fire department divers over the years and some sort of diving amateur enthusiasts who all struck me as very normal. But there are some real weirdos out there that I read about. Like, who is searching for Sir Francis Drake's coffin? Like, why do you want to find that? I don't, I don't understand this. After last week, you know, reading the reactions of the family members of the Edmund Fitzgerald to these yahoos that are diving down to the wreck. Families don't want you down there. People see it as grave desecration. If you were to go out and just start digging in a cemetery, somebody would stop you very quickly. Why does the ocean make it different? The only thing I can think of is that people see like the ocean as being communal, like anybody can swim in it. Anybody can take a boat on it. So maybe it's like considered a communal place. I don't know. There's an ick factor that I really don't like about this. Um, so please stop looking for Sir Francis Drake. I mean, he's been dead more than 400 years. Like, just let, let the man rest in peace. He is undoubtedly the most famous. But um, there are any number, particularly of wartime casualties, of the explorers, things like that. Not Captain Cook. He got, he got snacked on. Um but there are plenty of other examples um, of people who maybe are not as immediately recognizable as Sir Francis Drake, but definitely throughout history, particularly in wartime, there have been a lot of folks who are buried at sea. If you remember last year around this time when I was doing my series on national cemeteries and military cemeteries, I definitely alluded to it. Um... In World War II in particular, because so much of the war was fought at sea or on islands, particularly in the Pacific Theater, you have an incredible amount of maritime burials and burials at sea. And if you go to places like the National Cemetery of the Pacific, which is in Honolulu, Hawaii, I know I have posted pictures and I definitely talked about it last year when I was doing the National Cemeteries episodes they have specific cenotaphs there just to those who are buried at sea because it was so prevalent. Um, the Pacific Theater is particularly bloody and it, it's really, really tough. And if you look at the numbers, it's hard. Um, I tried to look through because, you know, obviously I've done a lot of research when I was researching funeral trains and things like that for World War II. Best estimates... Um, is that there were 9,049 sets of unrecoverable remains in the Pacific. So 9,000, that's a pretty hefty number in and of itself. Um, remember, total amount of bodies repatriated tops out, I think, around 171,000, if I remember correctly. But you're talking, you know, at that point, um, on top of that, in the Mediterranean theater, which I did not realize just how badly the Mediterranean got hit. But in the Mediterranean theater, which obviously is part of the larger Atlantic theater, they had 9,789 missing. Of those, approximately 5,000 were recovered, which means that you're looking somewhere to the tune of perhaps 4,000 unrecoverable remains, many of which are buried at sea. So, you know, probably between 10 and 12,000 sailors were buried at sea in World War II, either intentionally or unintentionally. And 
perhaps nothing is more dramatic. And I bring this up just because there's a great video, which I will post on the link tree for the podcast, um, of Lois Edward Dean. Probably the most dramatic burial at sea from World War II. And that is because um, of the actual manner in which he was buried. So Dean was born uh, in Sulphur, which is in Murray County, Oklahoma, on April 24th, 1921. Um, which, depending on when you are listening, that is right about the time that this episode will come out. So, um, happy 100th birthday to Mr. Lois Edward Dean, who would be 100 this year. Um, He was killed in action on November 5th, 1944, in the Battle of Manila Bay. And the way that I have read that this happened... um, he was hit by anti-aircraft fire. He was in the co-pilot seat of his aircraft along with Lieutenant Robert Cosgrove, who was flying with him, um, and he was killed during the fighting. And at that point, because it was sort of in the thick of things, Cosgrove actually flew two hours back to the aircraft carrier with his remains in the seat beside him. So he was the machinist mate um, on this. So he was a machinist mate, second class in the U.S. Navy. Um, when he ret- when they returned and when the plane landed, and the crazy thing about this is that all of it is actually on film. They did record it. They sort of show the plane landing, and they show the pilot getting out, and they kind of show... I don't know if it's the medics or the officers in charge going up and kind of like looking at his remains, obviously determining that he's dead. Um, And they kind of like it's covered so you can't really see him. But this whole thing was caught on tape. I don't know if it just so happened that they were filming all of this uh, on this particular aircraft carrier. But the decision was made that the airplane that he was flying in um, after it landed on the USS Essex, was too badly damaged to justify keeping it. So what they decided to do was they decided to bury him at sea in the cockpit of the aircraft. And like I said, this is the crazy thing. And you may have seen this if you were a World War II buff in any way. You've probably seen this video. But what they do is they kind of, they again, cover up the cockpit so you can't see his remains. And then they all line up on the deck of the Essex and they literally push the plane into the ocean. And so the entire fuselage is buried at sea. It's the only time that this happens in World War II. Probably the only time that they do this in history, as far as I know. Obviously, many pilots go down with their planes. Um, For example, Joe Candy Jr., um, JFK's older brother, um, was killed in his aircraft somewhere over the English Channel. So plenty of pilots go down with their planes, but I've never heard of this where rather than a traditional burial at sea, they choose to bury him in the plane. So it's quite dramatic. Like I said, I will link up the video. Um, But happy birthday to Lois Edward Dean, who had he lived would be 100 the day after this episode comes out. So... I didn't plan it that way. It's just a fun coincidence of which there are many in this life. Um, But instead, you know, he he died quite young, around age 23, I guess. More than 75 years ago now. 
So if you do just a general Google search for this, you can obviously see at times you have as many as 60 or 70 sailors who are killed in these Pacific battles being buried at sea altogether. It's very easy to see how the numbers add up pretty quickly and how you end up with as many as twelve to 14,000 men buried at sea over the course of World War II. And of course, I'm just picking one more. This certainly is not unique. Now, wartime aside, there is a long history of the military and burials at sea. And for a long time, Burials at sea were only permitted for former members of the military who were associated with it, usually naval officers. And this is a restriction that lasts for a long time, surprisingly long. I was actually shocked that this was something that was in place up until the 1980s because I was trying to do like just a little basic research into who had been buried at sea or who you would know that had been buried at sea. And one of the names that kind of consistently comes up is Dennis Wilson, which if you are not familiar with Dennis, Dennis Wilson, he is one of the beach boys. Um, and he's that beach boy that got in trouble because of Charles Manson. So Dennis Wilson, um, really has a rough time of it after the 1960s between the fallout from the end of the Beach Boys and his association with the Sharon Tate murders by the Manson clan, he doesn't do so hot. Um, And so he dies in 1983. He actually drowns um, after he's been using quite a bit of uh, alcohol and illegal drugs. He drowns. And it is expressed that obviously his close connection to the sea that his family wanted him to be buried at sea off Santa Catalina Island, off the coast of California. At the time, only Coast Guard and Naval officers were allowed to be buried at sea. Now, they tried to come to a compromise and say, well, if he was cremated, which is eventually what did happen, his ashes could be scattered at sea. But even at that time, like, this was not something that really had risen in popularity yet. Which, again, it surprises me because this is only about 40 years ago now. But apparently, President Reagan actually had to step in in order to get permission for Dennis Wilson's ashes to be scattered at sea. And I read that there was a lot of controversy later because his brothers claimed, like, he really wanted, like, a full body burial at sea and that didn't happen. But that's maybe splitting hairs more than we need to. But as late as 1983, this was something that was reserved for just Coast Guard and Naval officers because of their longstanding association with the sea. And obviously, if you remember last week, I talked about this, how the majority of people who are fishermen or sailors spend most of their life at sea, they just assume they're going to be buried at sea too. It's always a very real possibility. And so I think the same thing would be true for the Coast Guard and Naval officers and things like that. Certainly, though, I think many people, both before and after Dennis Wilson's time, felt a close connection to the sea. Um, And there's a lot of people that you are very familiar with in no particular order. Robin Williams, Rock Hudson, Vincent Price, John F. Kennedy Jr., who I talked a little bit about last week, Gene Kelly, Dick Clark, Neil Armstrong, Alfred Hitchcock, Janis Joplin, Peter Lawford, another Kennedy connection, 
Steve McQueen, even H.G. Wells, which I didn't know. A lot of people, and obviously, you know, like you can see, like Janis Joplin, you know, died significantly before Dennis Wilson. Many of these folks died, and you know, as early as the 60s. So there was already sort of a precedent, but I think that, you know, for official burial at sea, as opposed to just like the family goes out and scares the ashes, it's a different situation. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about what it takes to be official, as opposed to I think the majority of people who choose to do a quote-unquote burial at sea when it comes to scattering ashes do not do it in official capacity. And most people who are in the funeral industry will tell you, like, some, sometimes you will see cremated remains that are scattered very close to shore and they wash right back into the beach and you can see them on the sand because they look different than regular sand. The Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA does have regulations kind of to prevent some of this. And as boring as it might sound, um, that is where I think the bulk of our episode is going to go. So you kind of understand what it takes to be buried at sea. Now, it's worth noting that I'm going to focus on the U.S. because this is a U.S. cemetery podcast. I'm going to talk a little bit about Great Britain just kind of to compare and contrast because the problem is is that a lot of other countries, so for example, Australia, Australia allows burial at sea, but they still kind of have the main, maintain the idea that like you need to have a close association with the sea, like be a naval officer or something like that. I know that some civilians are buried at sea, but they don't encourage it. The UK is the country that to me, like reading their regulations, they're as clearly laid out as the U.S., and they have a significant enough of these at-sea burials that they actually kind of have statistics. So here in the United States, there is a huge, huge push to have very, very straightforward guidelines so that you cannot screw this stuff up. Now, I find this very interesting, and I'm not going to get on too much of a soapbox here, but uh, for much of our history, nobody has cared what we put in the ocean. Really, not at all. Um, Statistics-wise, you know, pre-1972, and I use 1972 because 1972 is when the Marine Protection Research and Sanctuaries Act was passed. So the MPRSA is going to be where the bulk of this is controlled. So ocean dumping of any kind, essentially, not just of human remains. So prior to the passing of that law, it's estimated that 100 million tons of petroleum products, 2 to 4 million tons of acid chemical waste, this stuff primarily comes from pulp mills that are making paper, they're bleaching paper, a million tons of heavy metals, 100,000 tons of organic chemical waste, and literally just stupid amounts of radioactive waste. So the Pacific Ocean had 55,000 containers of radioactive waste dumped in it, and the Atlantic, 34,000 containers of radioactive waste between 1946 and 1970. So most of those numbers there, those are annual. So 100 million tons of petroleum products It's just staggering amounts of trash, of highly toxic trash. So the Environmental Protection Agency 
has really cracked down. So as I'm going through the regulations, kind of keep in mind that even though this represents such a small percentage of deaths and burials, what they are trying to do is they are really trying to stop the use of things that are just horrific for the environment because uh, we have a lot to make up for because uh, in a 30-year span, we really did a lot of damage. And it's estimated that something like 14 million tons of garbage still go into waterways today. Um, The U.S. is not as responsible as it used to be, but we still have a huge trash problem. I'm recording this on Earth Day, so maybe that's the reason for me kind of putting this out there, but It seems like the EPA, at least in terms of this, is trying to be as eco-conscious as they possibly can. So, under the Marine Protection Research and Sanctuaries Act, um, there is essentially what is called a general permit that is issued. Now, I have read conflicting things. To my knowledge, this general permit seems to be a general permit for everyone to use, like a collective permit. Um... It seems like certain funeral directors, certain businesses obtain permits that show that they are complying with this, but you don't, to my knowledge, as an individual, receive a permit. That is the way that I understand it. Essentially, and I say this half-jokingly, if I was going to try to get rid of a body, there are way worse ways to do it than dumping it in the ocean. Um, So long as you're smart about it and you do it in a way that nobody's ever going to catch you because you don't need prior authorization to do this. You just need to file essentially an online. So there is an online burial sea reporting tool, which was created, and I quote, to reduce the paperwork burden. So they don't want you to clog up their desks with silly forms saying that you dumped somebody's body in the ocean. There is now an easy online reporting tool, and obviously I could only go so far in the reporting tool without actually having a body at sea to bury, Um, but I kind of flipped through it, and it is way simpler than filing your taxes. I feel like it should be harder to dump a body in the ocean. I'm not saying that I've ever done it. I'm not saying that I ever will, but it feels too easy. It feels really easy to dump a body in the ocean. And they're not even like, hey, you need to get approval beforehand. Hey, give us a heads up if you're going to dump a body in the ocean. Yeah, you got a month. You get a month. It's easier than registering a car. Like I said, I was, a, I was mildly shocked by how easy it appears to be to dump a body in the ocean. Um, I'm not saying that I'm going to like go full Dexter or anything and I'm going to start dumping bodies in the ocean. It worked for Tony Soprano. Clearly, they they all had caught on to this idea, but just making a general observation. So, the big thing is they are trying to get you to put as little into the ocean as possible that is not biodegradable. They do not allow plastics of any kind. That seems to be the biggest thing. They don't want to put any more plastic into the ocean than is already out there. And as we know, that is a huge problem. So the preference is for natural materials. So things like a shroud. Where the same way you would for a natural burial, you use either sailcloth, 
canvas, linen, something that is biodegradable, but also is sturdy enough to wrap a body in. And in that case, they recommend weighting it. This can be done in a number of ways. The preferred method, not just for mobsters now, is by using steel chain. So essentially you would wrap the body in steel chain to aid in rapid sinking. Now, it is worth mentioning at this point that this is only valid for U.S. citizens. So if you say we're bringing somebody from another country, this is where things get sticky. Again, it's very easy to report this. I don't know how much checking up they do, but... So, likewise, if you are going to be buried in a casket, the preference is for a natural material, either wood or a non-corrosive metal. They are very specific, and they have diagrams and photos that you can see on their website about how you are going to get it to sink, because you don't want things to float. That is the goal. Nothing should float. They want rapid sinking, and they want it to sink to the bottom. So the recommendation is that they are going to drill a minimum of 20 holes in the casket. The recommendation is eight on the top, eight on the bottom, two at the head of the casket, and two at the foot. Now, in addition to this, they recommend adding additional weight at the foot end of the casket so that it will sink first. So this is going to facilitate both rapid flooding and the venting of air from the coffin. Now, as it sinks, the other thing is, is once it's flooded, you want to make sure that nothing pops out. So they also recommend banding the casket in six places. Now, you can use natural fiber rope, which rope is actually pretty strong, um, or steel bands. And you wrap it exactly like you would a present for Christmas, where you have four straps that go along the width of the casket, basically in between your rows of holes. Then you have a long one which goes top to bottom, and then you have one that wraps like right below the lid that holds all of the other ones in place. Now, you have your casket, you have your holes drilled, you have your steel bands on so that nothing is falling out. Where are we actually going to dump this body? Can you just dump it anywhere? Here in the United States, the answer is pretty much yes. Um, what you have to do, though, is you have to go at least three nautical miles from the land. The goal here is that once the casket, or excuse me, the coffin goes down, actually it's metal, so it would be a casket. So once the casket goes down, it's going to stay down. Which means that you kind of want to keep it out of major navigational areas where it could get dredged up. And more importantly, try to keep it away from fishing. Because I'm going to tell you a little bit about some of the problems with coffins and fishing later on. Now, in terms of depth, you want to go 100 fathoms. Fathoms, old-fashioned, old-timey seaward. A fathom is 6 feet. So 100 fathoms, 600 feet. Uh, 600 feet is the minimum. So you want deep water. And again, this is mainly for navigational purposes, so it's not going to be an obstruction of any kind. And in addition to that, trying not to dredge it up. That's not to say that deep sea fishing um, 
of certain kinds. So particularly flounder fishing. Flounder are bottom feeders, so they kind of scour the bottom with nets. It's not to say that that doesn't happen, but the deeper the water, the better chance you have of nothing being dredged up. Now, in certain areas, and Florida is going to be the primary location, important to note because people love Florida. I'm not really sure why. Sorry to my Florida listeners. You definitely know about the deficits of your state. But East Central Florida, the area around the Dry Tortugas, which um, is a national park, and then the area from west of Pensacola to the Mississippi Delta. So these are areas that are very sandy. These are areas that have a lot of ship traffic because a lot of this is in the Gulf of Mexico, obviously not the eastern coast, but a lot of that is along the eastern coast, excuse me, the western coast of Florida along the Gulf of Mexico. There you actually have to go deeper. So there you have to go into waters that are a minimum of 1,800 feet deep just because of all of the activity between fishing and shipping tidal, weather, there's just a lot more complications there. Very different from, say, like the very rocky coast off New England or the very, very deep coast off the Pacific Ocean. There is no depth restriction for releasing cremated remains, but you do still need to go the regulation three miles out. And this is where I say this is for an official cremated burial at sea. I guarantee you the vast majority of people are not going that far out. A lot of them are probably releasing them right at the beach or they're out on a day boat or they take them out in a kayak. They're definitely not going three miles from shore. Now, theoretically, that's all you have to do aside from that online reporting tool. But there are a couple of other restrictions. Um, So first of all, I was talking about scattering cremated remains. You can also bury urns at sea. The same thing is applicable. However, you're not allowed to use a plastic urn of any kind. It has to be, again, a biodegradable container. And it also, they recommend weighting it so it does sink down, however you might do it. Um... This is a side note I just saw it in my notes and I didn't mention it before, but also for the online reporting tool, they mentioned that, quote, there is a guest function, which may be best for those reporting a single burial. <laughs> and I understand that the whole implication here is that there are certain companies that specialize in burials at sea, so it makes sense for them to make an online reporting account as opposed to checking as a guest. But again, I love, it's more work for me to log on and pay my phone bill than it is to bury somebody. So you can just log in as a guest. Pay your bill. No obligation. You don't even have to have a username. I mean, I assume you have to have an email address so they can at least get a hold of you if they have a question about the burial at sea. But uh, the ease with which the EPA wants you to dump bodies in the water I cannot overstate. It's been a heavy couple of weeks between the Titanic and the the shipwrecks last week, between the Edmund Fitzgerald and the Andrew Gale. I need a little bit of levity. So I'm getting a good laugh about the online burial at sea reporting tool. I also have some bad news. Not only are you not allowed to have, you know, like a plastic Hello Kitty urn for your ashes that sunk at sea, but also you can't be buried at sea with your pet. This is something that they state in several places on the EPA website. 
you cannot commingle the remains of your pet. You cannot have your pet in your casket with you. Now, I don't know how they would know if you went the full Egyptian and you put, you know, Fido or Miss Kitty in the coffin with you, or if you had a dog that died 20 years before you and you chose to mix their ashes with your own. There is no way that anybody is going to know. Again, I think if you go through certain companies, they're going to have to be like, hey, these are the rules. You're not allowed to dump pet remains at sea. And I can understand it because they're afraid that people are going to like dump dead animals in the ocean, which is not a great idea. I understand that. But it seems just kind of funny. Um, Likewise, medical waste. And this is a big problem, like going back to the pre-Marine Protections Research and Sanctuaries Act, that medical waste was often dumped at sea. And this is how you end up with a lot of needles and things like that on beaches. Um, So no commingled medical waste is allowed. No pet remains are allowed. But the good news is, should you at this point not be done with your life, but you are done with one of your limbs. Say there's an amputation type situation. You can just bury body parts at sea. Talk about confusing if things go wrong. Oh, well, we found a foot. Uh, Normally, that's the beginning of a true crime podcast, not a cemetery's podcast. But should you have to have an amputation, you can bury it at sea. The same rules apply, biodegradable container, weight it down. Um, Should I ever have to have an amputation, I'm definitely going to go with this because this is almost too good to be true. Now, one of the other issues is that no monuments are allowed. So you cannot sink a gravestone with your burial at sea. This goes for any kind of memorial, and that's kind of a joke. Obviously, you're not going to sink a gravestone, but um, the big issue, I guess, is like people laying out like wreaths of plastic flowers or things like that. If you want to lay real flowers that are biodegradable and will eventually break up, that's fine, but they don't allow plastic flowers of any kind. Again, they're trying to keep crap out of the ocean as much as they can. I find this hilarious. Um... And I'll give a little shout out here to Ed Snyder. Um, If you are not familiar with Ed Snyder, um, he is a blogger and taphophile from Philadelphia who he has done a lot of reporting on a number of different topics. But um, Monument Cemetery or what used to be Monument Cemetery in Philadelphia is one of his topics. Coming up on April 27th, he's actually doing a talk at the Philadelphia Athenaeum. If any of you guys want to log on and join, I know I already signed up. I'll be on there. Um, it's a lunchtime kind of lunch and learn type thing where he's going to be showing what remains a monument cemetery, which is now the ballast at the base of the Betsy Ross bridge. So when they built the bridge, rather than using traditional rocks, they used the headstones from monument cemetery, which was being moved. Again, the great ironies of things that happened in the past. Um, in the mid 20th century, people were actually dumping headstones in the river, Um, Same thing happened out in San Francisco. Um, They used them to make breakwaters and things like that. But post-1972, they are definitely cracking down on these things. All right, a few other regulations trying to keep crap out of the oceans. No balloons, rockets, or, quote, pyrotechnics. I am not sure 
it, like, is this like a Freddie Mercury style burial? Like, I'm not really sure who has pyrotechnics at their funeral. Um, I'm sure somebody has had it. Um, and this is perhaps the worst news of all. Not only can you not be buried at sea with your pet, you also cannot have a Viking funeral. No burning boats or funeral pyres are allowed as part of burial at sea. Now, this is something that very recently has been developing out on the West Coast where there is a big push to allow Viking funerals. And this is something that people tell me all the time, jokingly, when they hear that I have a cemetery podcast where they talk about, well, I want, when I die, I want a Viking funeral. It is slowly becoming acceptable. It is not a widespread thing yet, but that is a big push. Now, Everything that I have said up until this point is federal regulations. Now, given the fact that last week, as part of kind of my maritime disasters thing, I talked about the Great Lakes, it's worth noting that federal jurisdiction rules when it comes to ocean waters. When it gets to states' rights, the majority of rivers, lakes, ponds, smaller bodies of water those are all regulated by individual states. So the rules about burial, quote, at sea, or burial on the water do vary greatly. Now, from what I can tell, you're not allowed to bury people in lakes. Full body burial, that is. I, I looked through this, and I seriously cannot find an example. Um, certainly after last week, you know that Lake Superior in and of itself probably has quite a few people who are at the bottom. But from what I can tell, they don't allow full body burials on lakes for very good reasons, even though the Great Lakes are literally inland seas. Um, it seems that your only option there is going to be cremation and burial at, quote, sea. I think it would be really weird if people are just dropping bodies into ponds. That, that doesn't seem safe in a number of different ways. And rivers, just the very nature of them, that can't end well. Um, you really need quite a bit of depth. Um, and that 600-foot minimum, it only is basically that that makes sense. So looking at these websites, and you know I had to do a little bit more research for you, um, it's interesting to see exactly what these businesses look like. And again, there's some variation between countries, exactly what is allowed and what isn't allowed. So for example, you know, comparing the U.S. to Great Britain, um, it seems like the U.S. has slightly less, like I said, I'm estimating about six of these per year. There may be more, um, Great Britain does about a dozen. Um, they actually charge more for their permits, from what I can see. Um, over there, it's controlled by the Marine Management Organization. And it seems like Great Britain is a little bit more concerned that these bodies might resurface. Um, so they require them to have like an ID tag, similar to a dog tag on them, just in case they turn up. They also recommend between 40 and 50 holes be, bear, uh, be drilled in the casket for full body at sea burial. 
The biggest thing that I found interesting was that in the UK, it is very closely regulated in the fact that there are only a handful of actual physical places where you can be buried. And I'm sure a lot of this has to do with the tides, with shipping lanes, um, just the overall tumultuousness of the North Atlantic. If you are a a lighthouse fan and you know anything about lighthouses, um, the British Isles have some of the most just beleaguered and tortured lighthouses in the world. So it was really interesting to see that uh, the Needles is one of the offshore burial grounds that's approved because I know that the lighthouse at the Needles is just constantly, it's basically on a bare rock in the middle of the sea. Um, Great Britain actually has helicopter pads on the majority of their lighthouses. They don't kind of have the cone-shaped tops that we do here in the U.S., um, but they seem to pick areas that, for whatever reason, um, probably are very deep and are not in a place where they're going to drift. So the Needle Spoils Ground, um, which is near the Isle of Wight, is one of them. Um, Tynemouth, New Haven, and East Sussex. So these are all like specific locations. Like If you were going to be buried at sea, it has to be in this spot. And there are, I believe, a couple more further north off Scotland. But that's one of the major differences I saw. Um, There, it also seems like because it's so unusual that there's only a few funeral homes and groups that will handle this. Um, Obviously, it's going to be more popular with people choosing like the port of call that's going to be closest to these specific burial grounds. One of the most interesting things that I read, and this is, I think, definitely going to be a future topic, even though it's not technically a U.S. cemetery topic, was that during the Winter of Discontent, um, which if you're unfamiliar with it, was the major labor struggles that happened in Great Britain in the winter of 1978 and 1979, um, basically a number of labor unions, including gravediggers, went on strike that winter And their strike was compounded by the fact that it was one of the worst winters on record. They got something like 18 inches of snow, which basically shut down a large part of the country. And things got really ugly. And because the gravediggers in Liverpool were on strike, one of the suggestions, and it never came to this, was that they should start burying bodies at sea. And, you know, there's lots of quotes from politicians saying, well, we've, you know, been doing it for centuries and that's how the Navy does things. And they certainly were looking into it. Um, the strike, fortunately, didn't go on long enough to make that happen. But um, the whole plight of the gravediggers in Liverpool, especially as a follow up to the discussion that Ashley and I had back in January about the perceived dangers of being a gravedigger and things like that are interesting. Um we don't tend to think of cemeteries as being entirely influential, but uh, in many ways they were responsible for getting Margaret Thatcher elected. So like I said, I think that's definitely going to be a future episode. Um, but around here in the U.S., um, probably the number one place that's going to come up if you start searching for these is New England Burials at Sea, which is based out of Situate, Massachusetts. They handle both full body and cremated burials at sea. They do about six a year, um, or they were doing about six a year in 2011. Um, The numbers of those doing full body burial at sea are very low. So, for example, between 
the year 2000 and the year 2007, only two full body burials at sea happened like off this stretch of New England coast. So the numbers are low to begin with. They're making most of their money off cremation. Um, But they have some interesting features. So they have a specific burial shroud, both an Atlantic and Pacific version, that it unzips to give you that open casket feeling. (laughs) Trying not to laugh because the way that they market these things does crack me up. It has a little sleeve where you can place a photograph And it is weighted with a number of different things, but you do have the option for a ceremonial cannonball to be your weight, which if you know anything about traditional burial at sea in the past, that's how they weighted bodies down, is they would sew cannonballs into the sail with the body to make sure it sank. And they actually have a contract with the blacksmiths who, and this is where I'm going to fight with them, um, quote, forge cannonballs for the USS Constitution, which if you're not familiar with the Constitution, she is a replica um, warship. Um, Cannonballs are cast. They're not forged. Um, As you know, we take our metal work very seriously here on Tomb of the View. Um, So I would say they are cast by the same blacksmiths. Um, Each cannonball weighs 37 and a half pounds at a price of $150 each. So you can go out in style. And I will say that New England burials at sea, if nothing else, and I don't argue with anybody's ability to make a buck, they have found a way to have an extra charge for just about anything. Um, so let's see. Let's see if the fun things that you can get. Um, <laughs> the eight bells at end of watch blessing no extra charge. The ship's horn, no extra charge. They have to have one. It's a boat. You can't not have a ship's horn. However, if you would like a cannon salute, it is an extra $15 per charge. They do not include music. They will create an iPod mix for you for under $100. Excuse me? An iPod mix. I'm getting very strong 2005 vibes from this. Um, so you can you can have the folks at New England Burial at Sea put together a custom iPhone or excuse me iPod mix for you. Um, does anybody still have actual iPods? It's it's been a minute. Um, you can also have an optional photo show. Um, that literally. Um, they have local clergy on call. They have just about everything. Um, sea flower bouquets. Again, you can have your plastic flowers. You're looking at a hefty price tag. And I tease them. I understand. People want to make money. I am a terrible capitalist. This is one of the reasons I could never be in sales. Um, but it is expensive. It is expensive to do these burials at sea. Now, granted, I would say that the funeral industry in general is very expensive. Um, These shrouds in general are going to run you about $1,800. Actually, I was wrong. The price has gone up. 
So now they're going to charge you $350 for the cannonballs. I was either that or I made a mistake in my notes. Um, so full body burial is going to cost you around nine grand, um, about a thousand dollars more if you want to attend. So they will dump it at sea free of charge. Um, obviously the pet thing has gone because they do have a discontinued option for a $95 fee, um, for scattering pet ashes at sea. Um, it's about $3,000 to, um, do just like a regular sized funeral for cremation. Um, that's between 30 and a hundred passengers. Certainly, I think that this is one of those things that if you are interested in burial at sea, you have to anticipate the cost of what it's going to be. And also, reasonably speaking, you have to be in an area where it is accessible. Because from what I can see that there are very few companies that specialize in this and they are in very particular locations. Now, if you are a member of the military, you can get this done for free. However, the family cannot attend. They will take you out on a ship, and I believe that they can actually take photographs and videos and whatnot. Um, But for the most part, it's going to be a very expensive proposition. Interestingly to note, also if you are a veteran, if you are buried at sea, you are still qualified for a cenotaph in either a national or state cemetery. So that government-issued military marker for a grave is still available to you, which I thought that was pretty cool. Um... Apparently, it has to have the words in memory of because obviously there are no remains there. But I thought that was pretty cool. They will not provide the free marker if you are buried at sea and that you want one for a private cemetery. But if you choose, you can have a memorial marker put up in either a national or state military cemetery, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, last but not least, in our last few minutes, talking about burial at sea. What happens when burial at sea goes wrong? And it does. Now, you do everything right. You try to do things correctly. Still, sometimes things can go wrong. So in 2007, there was a body dredged up in a commercial fishing net um, roughly 20 miles off the coast of Cape Cod in Massachusetts. Um, it was fairly easy to identify the gentleman. Apparently, he was not decomposed too badly. Um, they were able to identify him visually. Um, and also, it was helpful. This is where I got that statistic that only two people had been buried off the coast of Massachusetts in the past seven years. So apparently, he was buried in 2001, um, and he was one of only two people. So it was a real short list for them to go through. But of course, obviously, their first concern is, is this foul play? They never identified him by name or said anything. There was never kind of any follow-up that I could find about whether he was reburied at sea. Um, But that did happen. And again, he was dredged up in a commercial fishing net that was fishing for flounder. So they were looking for those bottom-dwelling fish, which is probably how he got caught up in the net. Um, No word on, you know, like what had happened to whatever container, if he was in a shroud. Like, I think they were trying to spare the family any embarrassment um, because every account that I read, and obviously it's... 2007 so it's you know close to 15 years ago now so all of these were old news reports um the one that got a little bit more news was a man named daniel Lasky, 
who was a resident of North Carolina, but he loved Florida, and he chose to be buried at sea off the coast of Florida. Um, And unfortunately, it failed. This happened in 2010. Um, He died quite young of Lou Gehrig's disease. And from what I can see, his wife consulted with a local funeral director in North Carolina who didn't actually handle the funeral arrangements. But she talked to them, got recommendations from them, read up on the EPA regulations. And from every news report that I've read, it seems like she did everything right. Obviously, we're all human. There are natural errors that can happen with burials at sea. But for whatever reason, Daniel did float into shore. And at first, they believed that it was a homicide, and so his remains were held until they could figure it out. They were able to identify his body, they found his obituary, and then they figured out what had happened. In the past 20 years, these are the only two instances I can see of burials at sea going wrong. Now granted, when there are as few burials at sea as there are, at least full body burials at sea, This still feels like a high incidence of things that could go wrong. I'm hoping that, I I think that in the the fishing net situation, I don't think that they did anything wrong. The body had been down there for six years. It had been a while. Um, Whereas Daniel Lasky, this happened like right after he died. So clearly I think that there was some error on behalf of the funeral home. And I hope his wife got to the bottom of that and possibly sued the pants off them to, you know, get to the bottom of exactly what went wrong. Um, but just so you know, uh, there are no guarantees. Um, it doesn't appeal to me, the idea of being buried at sea. I love the ocean. I love to swim. I love all of that stuff. As you know, I come from Rhode Island. Um, I have far less of a problem with people being buried at sea than the amount of dumping that goes on. Uh, again, in Rhode Island, I mean, everybody, you know, I read an interesting article just when I was kind of researching all of the horrible things that we dump in the ocean and, you know, the amount of money that they lose to, for tourism in Rhode Island alone because of unsafe water quality from dumping, mainly stormwater dumping. Um, anybody that's ever been to Scarborough Beach in Rhode Island knows that there are some nasty pipes that you don't want to swim anywhere by and they're stormwater pipes so runoff from streets is dumping into the ocean and it picks up all sorts of contaminants from you know oil and dirt and things on the road chemicals from lawns um, pet waste human waste all of those things um, that can lead to all sorts of things from nasty rashes to hepatitis the major issue is that we are trying not to contaminate the ocean this is the same reason that You also, if you are going to discharge waste from your boat, which yes, it is perfectly legal to discharge human waste from your boat as long as it has been what's called chemically treated um, and macerated, which most marine toilets have the facilities to do that, you have to go three miles off the coast. So the same distance that you have to go to dump a body. So if anything, at least the EPA is consistent. um, But it seems to me that uh, burials at sea, as long as they are done responsibly, and well, seem to be far less of a problem than all of the other crap that we're putting into the ocean. 
One more week left of April, one more topic left to cover as we talk about cemeteries in the sea. Hopefully you've been enjoying it. I know it's kind of fun and a little bit campy, but uh, I definitely have been enjoying it. And hopefully this week was a little bit lighter than the past two weeks have been. Um, Slightly less disastrous. As always, thank you so much for your ratings and reviews. If you have not had the opportunity to do so, please, please, if you have time, I would love for you to log on, give me a five-star review. It really helps me make helps make me much more searchable to people looking for podcasts, even if they just search the word cemeteries. It helps make me go higher up on their search results. So if you are enjoying the podcast, please do so. As always, you can also follow along on social media, Tomb of the View podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram, and Tomb of the Podcast at gmail.com if you are interested in just reaching out, talking to me. I am almost all the way caught up, I promise. Um, I know I say that every week, but I'm almost all the way through my emails. Hopefully this week I will complete that Herculean task. But I appreciate each and every one of you that does reach out and talk to me. Um, And any ideas for future episodes, please feel free to share. Hopefully you guys stay safe, we're your life preservers, but for now, I'm Liz Clappin, and this is Tomb with a View.